Welcome, everyone. What is today? Today is Tuesday, December 27th, 2016, and this is the Promotional Law Practice live chat. My name is Luke Thomas. Welcome. This is the very last one of the year. Uh, we are almost done with a whole year of these. Can you believe that? Uh, you might be asking, gee, where are you, Luke? This You look like uh, you've been hit by a bus, and this is not your typical uh, place. Also, why would you have this sort of bizarre wood paneling in the back of your house? I'm not in my house. I'm actually in Las Vegas. Uh, I am in the Mandalay Bay Hotel, which in my judgment is the best one to stay in because it's at the end of the strip and therefore there is less riffraff coming through. A lot less Bud Light Lime and Aqua de Gio in your face. Uh, anyway, uh, so we are here. I'm in my room. If there's any issues with this, I apologize. Uh, the audio should be good. Um, I have my video camera but I couldn't quite get the right lighting with it. I'm not sure what's wrong with it, so I just decided to go with this one. So hopefully this gets the job done as well. Uh, we'll go for about 90 minutes or so, and what will we talk about? We'll talk about Ron Rousey, we'll talk about 207, we'll talk about Cyborg, we'll talk about uh, MMA this year, we'll talk, there's a lot of stuff to get to. So uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, <laughs> don't know whether to bring this up now or later. Um, let's see, uh, probably now just to get it out of the way. Um, okay. Before we get to the uh, MMA topics here now, you know what? I'll save it for later in the chat. It's fine. It's not that big a deal. All right. Um, I saw what the, I, I took a look at some of the questions. I normally, well, I won't say normally, I don't often look at the questions ahead of time. You know, I like to be a, a, as impromptu as possible, but I saw the first one and, um, it didn't quite go where I wanted to start because I, even though we did a chat last week, it feels like we did it. A month ago I mean it's just crazy everything that's happened since then and we had Christmas and George Michael died by the way I don't know if you guys saw this this is a bit of breaking news Carrie Fisher has died at the age of 60 Princess Leia 2016 is uh, an incredible year if you are a beloved or otherwise talented celebrity I made a point on Twitter I was like if you just had a New Year's Eve party where the only music was for musicians who died in 2016 you're gonna have an awesome party but, um, okay, put, be that as it may, we'll put that aside. So where do we start? Let's start with, like, what is at the top of my mind? And then we'll get to all these questions. This actually comes from a question, but it's an emailed one from Laura or Laura, since I think she's from Colombia. Uh, she says, all right, we're going to look up some questions. The media's MMA, excuse me, the UFC's media mishandle. Will Ronda's lack of media obligations directly affect Amanda Nunes' ability to raise her pay due to the less, potentially less anyway, pay-per-view buys. So let's back up a step here if we can. And I want to talk about this Ronda Rousey thing for just a little bit. I had I had a lot of thoughts at first when I got the email from the UFC. You know, uh, what they do is like, uh, you know, the week out, they send you an email and like, they're like, hey, here are the events. Here's the addresses. Here's who's going to be there. Is it open to the public? Is it not open to the public? Um, what are the time slots? You bet, just gives you a sense of, what each day's event is going to be, who's going to be there, uh, where it's going to be, what time it's going to be, and what you're basically going to be able to get so that you as a media organization can plan your coverage around it. And they sent it. And it, was, it was Wednesday media day, Thursday weigh-in, Friday fight. That's it. You know, you think of an event like this with Ronda Rousey, um, you would imagine there would be a ton of events through town. Like usually like, 
I mean, what is the UFC's, to this point anyway, mode of operation? It's almost exclusively more is more. They just believe more, 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 and sometimes to a fault. But, you know, when they go to a live event and they have a, a city where they're really trying to make an impact or an event where they really want to let, let folks know about it, they don't, they don't, they're not shy about it, you know. Uh, and this time it is a significantly reduced fingerprint. Um, sh sh shockingly so. So there's that. Um, but in just thinking about this a little bit, I, I was trying to figure out, like, how do I feel about this? On the one hand, I feel, um, I feel like Rousey's media withdrawal is in some parts, some ways, understanding. We talked about this on the MMA beat a little bit. But there was, like, two other things that occurred to me that we never really said there that I really want to say here, which was, number one, or maybe three things. You know, number one, if you're a media outlet and you planned, like, you have to understand this. Doing this stuff is expensive. Flying to Las Vegas, staying in these hotels, it's expensive. It's, it's really, now, again, you don't have to stay in the Mandalay Bay necessarily, but, you know, uh, Las Vegas uh, on the Strip is not going to be cheap. No for New Year's Eve parties. Uh, and you could be like, well, don't stay in Mandalay Bay, stay somewhere else. Okay, but the cab rides here are extraordinarily expensive. So unless you have a car or something, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not saying it can't be done cheaper, but you just there's a limit to what you can reasonably do. Plus, you have to get around places and stuff. And um, my point being is I can imagine some MMA editors or editors of different media entities in various places, be it video or I'm here for SiriusXM or some other thing, kind of being pissed, right? I mean, it's expensive to do this, and... There has to be some kind of return on that on that investment, and I can imagine that like they're like, well, if she's not going to be there, you know, why are we sending a big crew? Uh, and you could say, well, people want to learn about the other stories. They'll tell those stories no matter what. People are going to know about Dominic Cruz, and they're going to know about Cody Garbrandt and, and everyone else. But like, and there's nothing I guess you can do about Kane and Verdum. Uh, but for Rana not not to be there is, you know, it will, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there's going to be editors or program directors or various other figures in authority at these media companies thinking twice about going to covering another Ronda Rousey fight, or at least with the same amount of resources. I guarantee it. I guarantee that they're furious everywhere because that this is the end of your budgets too. Um, you know, you have to understand that like when you go to these things, you're, you're counting on a certain amount of content you can deliver to your audience that is big enough to justify the expense. And with no Ronda Rousey here, depending on what assets were put here, there's going to be a lot of people taking a financial bath in media this week. Maybe that's intentional. I don't know. But that's definitely going to be a byproduct. I'm sure of it. Number two. Um, look, the UFC is a big organization. And I don't know when they knew about this. I don't know when the media staff or the PR staff was told about this. So I don't want to make a bold proclamation about they did everyone wrong. But my thought basically is if they knew enough in advance that this was going to be the case, you know, there probably should have been some kind of heads up about it so that these organizations, these media organizations can make the appropriate decisions about how to allocate their resources. Um, because if they, you know, if you, if you think Ronda Rousey is going to be there and you're going to get, let's just say for an example, a scrum, um, even less than that, a ability to film her and uh, photograph her workout or something like that. And now all that's gone, you know, 
that changes the equation of what kind of assets you want to send out here. And to the extent that they knew about it, they probably should have said something about it, but I don't know. I'm just sort of positing that if they knew, then they should have said something, but I don't know exactly what they knew in, um, in terms of the PR staff. They may have been told late, who knows. And then the last thing that occurs to me though, and this is a bit of a different take on it, you know, you could say whatever you want about it. It's unbelievably bizarre. It's, it's uh, extraordinarily unusual. It's, does it signal that she's mentally weak? I would, I would argue that it doesn't signal that she's mentally weak in any kind of new way. In other words, I don't think anything changed with her. Uh, this to me appears to be an overcorrection. Like I, I don't, in other words, I don't know if she's going to win or lose when she goes to fight Amanda on Saturday, but like she, if the media had been negative in the way that it was after her loss prior to it, for whatever reason, she wouldn't have liked it back then either. She only liked it because she was the recipient of like glowing press, but I don't think she naturally had some kind of like love affair with media generally in some in some d different way. It, it was just that when the coverage turned from, hey, geography to biography, she checked out. Um, and so I don't know that she has like some new liability, but what I do think is there's like whatever underlying issues there were before related to either exposure or having to discuss her private life or having her failures magnified in some way, um, none of that has changed. But that doesn't necessarily mean she's gonna lose on Saturday. Right here's my thought on Saturday. She's probably going to go in there and win. Like it, you know, one of the things that Holly was—I mean, I don't know if she's going to win—but Holly was really good about disengaging, getting away, sort of bull matador thing. I don't think Amanda Nunes is like that necessarily. That might, that might be her undoing. But, um, but my, my my thought is that if the same kind of pressures show up, right, where she is getting bombed on a little bit and doesn't have an answer for it, the same problems that revealed themselves in the home fight. Will then reveal themselves in the in the Nunez fight. In other words, there aren't new problems, but the old ones aren't gone. That's sort of how I look at this. But back to the boycott thing, real quickly. I think MMA media has a little bit of blame to shoulder here. To be to be perfectly honest, and what I mean by that is, you know, not for the coverage we gave, n never. Like the coverage that was, if anyone on balance has been the recipient of. Uh, unfair, and I mean towards that person, not not against them, coverage. It's Ronda Rousey. She is the beneficiary of the most over-the-top, glowing hagiography hey, I've ever seen in my life for any athlete ever. She has no right to complain about the coverage in a general abstract way. Maybe individual pieces here or there, but even then, not really. Not much anyway. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if we had uh, a group and we had collectively gotten together and we couldn't negotiate with the UFC about certain disclosures, like they would have had to told us if she wasn't gonna be on there or there are a certain amount of media she would have to do anyway. You know, some, some kind of negotiating would have happened from a collective group representing the interests and, and, and needs of media with the UFC. This probably wouldn't even be happening. It's happening because we haven't gotten together. Now, let me be clear about that. There are a lot of folks who are trying very, very hard to make something happen. I'm not in any way saying anything bad about them. In fact, they're the heroes here. The ones who are trying, the ones who are trying to get out there and all the time make this happen, uh, they're gonna remain nameless for now, but they know who they are and they've done incredible work and I'm not here to, to demean them. I'm here to compliment them, to praise them, frankly, to cheerlead them. I'm just saying as a group collectively, which includes me and everyone else, um, we should have done this a lot sooner. We should have been done already years ago. We should have 
should have gotten it together. And if that was the case, I don't think this would even be happening because it we would have a contractual issue uh, and guarantees with them that we never, we never got. And so to me, it's like, you know, should the UFC have said something if they had known? Yeah. And should Ronda Rousey be this allergic to, you know, basic uh, media obligations? Of course not. At the same time, though, I don't want to just say it's you, 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 you. We got to take a look in the mirror and say, if we had negotiated these things in some kind of collective way already, we wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't even be here. Or if we were here where she didn't have to do those things, we would have known about it. And we could have made our plans accordingly. Um, we got one media event tomorrow that I could take part in. And then that's it. <laughs> because for the weigh-ins, I got to do my show. So, like, it's it's crazy. All right. So that's the Ronda Rousey thing. Now, to the question itself from Laura here. Uh, will Ronda's lack of media obligation directly affect Nunes' ability to raise her pay due to the less pay-per-view buys? Some people are already assuming this is going to do less pay-per-view buys. I think that's a reasonable suspicion, maybe even a likely one. But until we see it, um, I, I just want to be very careful about declaring it. I've had a lot of casual friends, and I know this is terribly anecdotal evidence. I, I, I am not saying if you think there's going to be less buys, you're wrong. Far from it. You may very well be right. But until the numbers are in, I just want to be a little bit careful about saying something. Because I have had a lot of casual fans and friends reach out to me saying, hey, I heard Ronda's fighting. They did have some confusion about it being on Friday, though, so that could play into it as well. All right. So it says here, 90% mental, 10% physical. Knowing what we now know about Nunez and forgetting everything we know now about Rousey from UFC 193 onward, I think it's safe to say the most would predict a Rousey victory in this fight based on skills and in-ring accomplishments. But the past year of seclusion has raised more questions and doubts about the abilities of Rousey going forward than any Holly Holm high kick ever could. How big of a factor do these mental questions play in your prediction for the fight, and how much weight do you give those against what we know about both competitor skills in the cage? Here's what I would say for me, and this will change depending on who you ask. You could get a wide variance here. But for me, I'm going to say that it matters... ...could be extraordinarily impactful because if we're just dealing with questions and not known entities known quantities of agreed upon facts we can only make so many um declarations or judgments about it in other words for the reasons i just mentioned amanda nunez doesn't really clinch break and circle and stay away and is super mindful of distance she doesn't mind engaging. Now, she's not necessarily reckless, per se, especially she's gotten better about it, and she's gotten more accurate as a striker. There is a very plausible scenario where she goes in there and with the appropriate distance management, bombs on her and wins and maintains her title and gets the win of her career. This is a very plausible scenario. I think another plausible scenario, though, is that because she isn't quite so um, averse um, to maintaining distance, Ronda Rousey will be able to eventually tie her up and get her down, and that'll be all she needs. If not the first or second time, maybe the third. And maybe she takes a beating along the way. Maybe maybe Rousey comes out and redeems herself. But for me, the fact that there has been, she hasn't changed trainers despite her mother's objections, and that's not in and of itself a reason to do it, but it's something you just can't ignore. Um, the way in which she lost, the way in which she's handled the media, to me, it would make a surefire um, judgment call in favor of Rousey now a little bit more difficult to come by. I think I'm leaning Rousey is the answer. And the only reason why I'm slightly leaning her, uh, leaning towards her is because of these questions. So it doesn't change 
my pick. But if you're picking Nunez, who could argue with you? Who could who could possibly argue with you? You know, there's a lot of really good arguments. Hell, even if Rousey was 100%, you could make an argument for Amanda. Um, and maybe Rousey is 100%. You know, maybe some of these questions are totally unfounded. This is what I mean about the nature of questions. It's not like we have answers. We have questions. And that makes it difficult to parse what's valuable and what's not and what's real and what's imaginary, what's paranoia, what's incisive inquiry. Uh, so it doesn't change my pick. But, of course, if something goes out there and she crumbles in, let's say, 90 seconds, you can be like, oh, God, maybe those questions really will were, were well-placed, you know? Uh, okay. Did you catch uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan's scorpion kick Galasso yesterday? I mean, am I Armenian or what? Um, all right. Cruz versus Garbrandt. I thought he may have been outside. Who cares? Uh, all right. Hey, Luke. The buildup to the Cody versus Cruz match seems reminiscent to the Woodley Wonderboy fight where people were confident in the old-fashioned, flat-footed wrestle boxer would get schooled by the more intricate striker. Can you see a similar fight unfolding in this one as the Woodley fight? That's an interesting way to think about it. I've never thought about it like quite like that. Um, hmm. That's interesting. Sure. So I've seen two different kinds of responses, which is, I mean, one more than the other. But it would be common in a scenario like this because Cruz and Garbrandt could not be more different. One is like clean cut and um, uh, verbose and likes to flex his mental acuity and uh, is a real, not in the way that King Mo means, but is a real finesser. I don't mean, I don't mean in a duplicitous way. Um, let me just make sure everything's working right. There we go. Yes, I think everything's going fine. Okay. Um, and Garbrandt, I think, is, you know, has his own sort of aesthetic, which is very, very different, of course, than Cruz is, but is much more of a rough, rugged, and raw type. And um, and so, naturally, they're going to they're gonna split the fan base a little bit because some people are going to respond more easily to Cody and some are going to respond more easily to Dominic. I would think that more people are very. Here's what I've seen: a lot of people are very confident that that Gar, uh, that uh, excuse me that Cruz is going to go in there and show them what time it is. Very plausible scenario. There is less of this, but there are also people very confident that Garbrandt is going to go in there and and shock the world. And Garbrandt, you know, is is one of those guys himself, man. If you interview him, his you know Cruz's assuredness is uh, there too. But his appears to be like rooted in the sense of like duty. In other words, here's what I have to do at each of these stages. And I have game planned it out. I have prepared for each of these scenarios. If he does X, I do Y. If he does A, I do B. If I do C and he does C or E, I pick a or, you know, He's got all of these things very, very parsed, Julienne, as it were. And every single stage of it, he's got some kind of thought process or game plan, or technique, or um, tactic. Garbrandt appears very much sense of what he can and needs to do, and uh, and just believes if he just brings that to life one way or the other, probably sooner rather than later, everything will just take care of itself. I'll get to this other question here about Nunes in just a second that just popped up. Um, 
So the answer is, um, I didn't see it quite in the terms you're putting it at as like Woodley versus Wonder Boy, although there was that polarization there too. That was more rooted in identity, and that was also rooted in a real disrespect, for, and, and or at least a, an ability to acknowledge uh, Tyron Woodley's clear technical improvement. Like he is, there are some people like he's just a better version of Johnny Hendricks. No, no, he's a way better version of Johnny. He's not even a version of Johnny Hendricks. Johnny, Johnny Hendricks is a lesser version of him or something. Like, they're not even close, man. Um, but here's my point about this. Gr MMA is funny. Garbrandt has big-ass power. Big power. And a big belief in it and a big willingness to use it. And I'm not saying Cruz can't shut his lights out, but... It's not the likeliest of scenarios. And even if Garbrandt's getting tuned up a little bit, it's not going to take much for him to change the, the course of that fight. Now, Cruz has a good chin. How do I know? We've seen it. And TJ Dillashaw told me that on what, Thursday? TJ Dillashaw was like, I hit him with some good shots, and he took them well. Like, he doesn't take a lot of damage, so he's got a lot of resources left in his body to, to accept a big shot when it happens. Um. I just think this, you can never underestimate or under underrate what a big power puncher can do in MMA. It's not in any way going to be, you know, this will guarantee their victory. I am in no way saying that. But offense is more important in MMA than defense. It just is. Or unless you have, like, incredible defense. But you can get more things done with good offense and bad defense than you can with bad offense and good defense. Um. You don't even need him to be 50-50. You, you, it's much better to have better offense. And Cruz has a lot of offense, but Garbrandt has a lot of like really impactful offense, and we uh, would be wise to take that seriously. Now, someone mentions, Nunes said she has trained judo, and she has broken down Rousey's entries and hip placement. So if she can neutralize Ronda's judo and outstrike her early, she will likely win, I believe. That, I think, is a very fair uh, way to look at it. But like, here's the other thing I would say, man. They're not the same. They're not the same. You can find another judo black belt who can emulate Rousey. Same entries, same fitting in, right? Same Sayonagis, Tayatoshis, Harai Goshis, Uchimadas, the whole bit. All her entries, all the things she likes to do. She loves to get the Russians and the two-on-one across her body. She's really good at those. Right? You can do all that. And she and you can get someone to imitate that. It's not going to be Rousey, man. It's not. I'm talking about an Olympic medal-winning level judoka, a lifelong athlete. They don't feel the same. They don't feel the same. I've, I've mentioned this before. This is another level down from that. I've rolled with plenty of people who have been incredible, and then we had that one dude from the Mongolian Olympic team, bro. His arm bars felt different. They felt different, man. They were rough. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when he tried to put his heels in around my neck. He missed with one of his feet and his heel came on my lip and split it. Um, they're different. They don't feel the same. Significantly different. Now, maybe Amanda Nunes uh, has really so well rehearsed that that won't matter, and you're correct. But just being like, well, I've looked at her entries and I've practiced them. I am not saying that's invaluable. 
it might make all the difference in the world. But I'm also a little skeptical of claims like that. If you haven't brought in someone at that exact kind of level, they don't feel the same. They don't. They absolutely don't. You know, MLS All-Stars versus, you know, the Real Madrid starting 11. Not the same kind of player. Now, the MLS All-Stars might be better than, let's say, the Barca starting 11. But that's a different story. Uh, UFC champions losing belts. As we reach the last UFC event of 2016... Uh, out of the champions that started this year, only Joanna, DJ, and DC still have their belts. What champions, if any, do you think will have the belt this time next year? Where is my dented wall? Yeah, it's back in DC. Uh, what champions, if any, do you think will have the belt this time next year? Ooh. Maybe Joanna. Um, hard to say for Amanda. DJ, probably. Cruz is a tougher one. Who knows what's going to happen at 145 and 155. Uh, 170 is going to be tough. 185 is going to be tough. 205 is going to be tough. And heavyweight is going to be tough. Well, maybe, maybe Stipe. Maybe Stipe. Don't make predictions for the site anymore. Can you give us your predictions for the main card? Um, let's see. Pull up that main card, shoddy. All right, here's we here we have UFC two oh seven. I haven't thought about these. Well they got Rousey in a different fight kit. That's interesting. Uh well they have to, I suppose. Uh okay. Nunes versus Rousey. I'm probably leaning Rousey, but that one's hard to call. Cruz versus Garbrandt. Hmm. I guess Cruz. Dillashaw versus Lineker, Dillashaw. Kim versus uh, Safadine, Kim. Smolka versus Borg, I'll go Smolka. But, I, I, you know, those those top three fights, Nunes versus Rousey, Nunes versus Rousey, Cruz, Garbrandt, Dillashaw, Lineker, especially the main and co-main, they're tough calls, man. They're tough calls. If you got the other way around, I get it. I completely get it. Uh, Luke, what program do you use? Five three one starting strength strong lifts or something else. I have just started the starting strength program. I'm just sort of getting into it now. Oh, look what I got for Christmas! Can you see these jokers? You see these? The wife got me these. These are the Nike Romaleos. This is how they pronounce. It. I say Romaleos, even though I know that's incorrect. As you can see here, this is an Olympic weightlifting shoe. Um, I use these for. Well, I, I just got them, but I'm going to use them for um, squats, power cleans. Um, I'll use them for standing uh, press, standing overhead press. Um, these are amazing, man. These things, I, I tried them out the other day. It's, they're, they're unbelievable what they can do. They're super expensive, so I don't recommend them for everyone, especially just a – I mean, I'm, I'm a novice lifter too, but um, – if you don't do like heavy barbell lifts, there's no need for them. Plus, you cannot deadlift. I mean, some people deadlift in them, but I think it's a big mistake. But if you're tall like me, you don't have a lot of ankle mobility. If you don't have ankle mobility, it's going to be hard to get both proper depth on squat and just there's going to be a lot of problems associated with it, including health problems, technique problems, drive problems. So the Romaleos or Romaleos help fix that, and they glue you to the ground. What you want to avoid lifting shoes, you don't want compression. 
right? You want it to be no compression on the heel so that when you lift, it doesn't drive the other way down. You want everything to go up. And uh, it provides that incredible stability. And then it gives you that inward lean that you need for power cleans, especially squats. If you're like 6'2 or more, um, you don't have to get those. There are other ones you can get. But you should, if, you're, if you lift barbells four to five times a week and you're tall, consider getting the appropriate shoe. Uh, for deadlift, I just use Chuck Taylors. Here, I think I got those too. Yep. These are my deadlift shoe. This is my deadlift shoe. Why? Because it's basically, it's flat bottomed. There's nothing to it. Uh, if I could, I would deadlift. I would deadlift in, I would deadlift uh, with just bare feet, but most places don't let you do that. Or a sock. This is what you want for a squat. You want that forward lean. You want the opposite for a deadlift. You want completely flat. You want the portions of your foot, heel, um, ball, and the other side to be completely sucked to the ground. And so I use these just as a matter of like to protect the feet and everything like that. So I'm going to go to, uh, you know, CT Fletcher's a bit of a donk, but his Iron Addicts gym is not too far from here. So I'm going to get an Uber at the end of the day and we'll go check that out. Go do some lifting. Maybe Kali Muscle will be there and we can do curls. All right. So let's talk about Dana's comments about Nate. I see people getting very upset about his statement, saying Dana is delusional. He is protecting Connor from Nate and so on. Here's how I see it. And it's pretty pretty incredible that not many people can figure this out. A third McGregor versus Diaz fight will happen either if Connor loses his belt down the road or if Connor defends his belt against maybe Habib, Tony, and Aldo. Why? Because it's a fight that will be just as big if Connor has that belt or he doesn't. So UFC will do everything to save that one until later. So why did Dana hint that it won't happen? It's because he wants Diaz to think it won't happen anytime soon and there and therefore. Take a fight against someone else. UFC needs headliners, and Nate is a big one. Uh, sounds about right. <laughs> pretty good. That's a pretty good job. Yeah, pretty good job. I don't have much to add to that. Remember, what is Dana White's job? Dana White's job is to promote the UFC's interests and say things in the media that do that. Whether those things are true, whether those things are false, whether those things are half true, half false, 80-20, 60-40, whatever. That's his job. His job is to promote that line of thinking. So always remember that. He might even know what he's saying is not really true. Not the point. The point is he has to promote a certain vision, a certain way forward, a certain uh, way of speaking that reflects the company's interests, desires, and path forward. Right now, is Kane the pound-for-pound pound most stupid fighter on the roster, or is Jones still up there? <laughs> not sure why Kane is stupid. Uh, okay. Why in the world would he walk around and brag about him not being able to stand for more than 10 minutes and then he will have surgery eight days after his fight? Yeah. So, the tough one. What do you want from these guys? You know, look, I agree. Strategically, not the best call. A great call, strategically. Sorry. A great call strategically to get, you know, I, I, forget about the Bjorn Revenue stuff. The stuff he said about his health, um, it is valuable information. And it, apparently it's very honest information and real information. Like, I'm not going to be bitter about a guy in a real way. Not Tito, oh, I fought with a cracked skull. 
talking about a real fighter, and is a real fighter, but I mean somebody who's who is in the trenches right now and and struggling and struggling. Like the guy is having to to take marijuana because he doesn't want to get on painkillers, but he needs painkillers. That's real. That's that's incredibly scary and genuine and honest and um yeah yeah um so should he have said it i don't know what you want with it. I mean, he didn't probably have to volunteer that information i think that was maybe a mistake certainly in the end it cost him this opportunity i really hope the cleaning crew doesn't come in here while i'm doing this i put a thing on the door but we'll see but like i don't know I mean, obviously, if it cost him the fight, then maybe he shouldn't have said something. But what is the lesson there? Conceal the truth about your health so you can make it to the cage? I mean, what if something bad had really happened to him? Like, if he can't get cleared to fight because he's medically jacked up, maybe he shouldn't be fighting. Maybe he shouldn't be fighting. I don't call that stupid necessarily. I mean, it backfired in the sense of, you know, trying to have your cake and eat it too, I suppose. But if you're that, if you're that banged up, you Maybe, you know, I, I even said it on Twitter at the time. Like, I'm not necessarily all that mad at the Nevada Athletic Commission. Like, I don't know what the ins and outs are of the medical issues. And maybe they are acting out of, like, a, a, a bizarre abundance of caution. But if they're not giving him a license because he is really, truly jacked up, he told us he has trouble standing, we know he's going to get surgery after the fact, maybe he shouldn't be fighting, man. You know? Maybe he really, maybe this is all for the best for his long-term health. We, ne we never really take that seriously. And maybe this thing actually worked out to his benefit in that regard. That's not to our benefit or to your benefit. Um, but, you know, maybe in 20 years he'll look back and be like, I'm glad they did that. Who knows? Um, I think the bigger question to me is like, dude, what is so, like, I've had back problems but never like that where I can't stand for more than 10 minutes I have to sit. Man, if you if you have back problems like that, uh, there are some serious questions you need to start asking yourself, and there are some important points of discussion that you need to have with your medical uh, doctor, your your doctor, your medical supervisor, whatever, whoever is in charge of your medicinal well being. That is a, your back is central to everything. Your back, your lower back in particular, is you, all of that has to work for everything else to be valuable. And if that is compromised to the point where you can't stand for more than 10 minutes, um, you have real problems. And marijuana is not going to fix that either. For all the, you know, for whatever documented medical benefits there are for marijuana use as a way of pain management. Um, that might be fine, but you have an underlying condition that is severely affecting your quality of life. And, um, you know, pulled him from this fight? I suppose not. But there's a greater context of, you know, what is your long-term health? Should you really even be fighting? And also, like, I'm not going to bag on a guy for being honest. I'm just not. You know, that was a real thing he said. You should, you know, you shouldn't want guys to say things that ultimately sabotage their careers, I suppose. But 
I think on balance, what we want are athletes that when we ask them questions, they give us honest answers. Uh, even if they come at some measure of self-sabotage, you know, we don't wish that upon them necessarily, but isn't that what you want? Isn't that when you ask a guy a question that you get an answer that's from the real world? John Lineker question from last week. I don't want to say Lineker versus Dillashaw breakdown. Um, and I'm still not prepared to give one. I'll tell you what. Let me think about that. I'll put one on my personal YouTube channel. How about that? I will. I'll make it like four to five minutes. I'll put it on my personal YouTube channel. All right. Um, hi, Luke. Do you think that with Tony, I think you mean Ferguson, holding out for more, more money, he will get passed to buy for Aldo or Nate? They're certainly trying, but no, in the end, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, perhaps that is naivete. But I, I ultimately think that, the, they, I mean, Aldo versus Habib is a great fight. Um, Nate versus Habib is a great fight. Or Nate versus Connor or whatever they're going to do. But um, although Nate versus Habib wouldn't be that great necessarily. But no, I think in the end that they they – they are doing this not to not have Tony a part of the process, but to get him to lower what he's asking. And I think ultimately they'll find some way to either make that happen or change what they are expecting from him or something like that. Uh, Rousey's mental problems. It baffles me that people seem to think Rousey has any mental weaknesses or issue. Yes, she took the loss hard, but this whole media blackout is exactly what she wants. It's pretty clear that she attributes her loss to overworking in media. So to do no interviews is surely a good thing. I would be more worried if she was doing media. Do you think she has a mental problem? Well, I am certainly no medical uh, professional to give any kind of answer there. So, you know, I'll leave the question of whether she has any mental problems to the people who are um, equipped to make those kinds of judgments, which I am not. And I also think you bring up a decent point, right? She's not doing media. <laughs> She's living her life every day basically the way she wants to live it. That is probably a very good thing in terms of getting ready for a performance. Embedded cameras, from what I can tell, do not appear to be in her face. She doesn't have to worry about me asking her about anything. Uh, there aren't any questions that she has to answer for about uh, Edmund Tarverdian. This is probably good for her in that sense, if we're talking about what will ultimately raise her level of performance on Friday night. Um, however, it's not that that's not true. It is true that those things in the short run will have a great benefit. The question is, it's not that she, what does, what do those kinds of restrictions say about someone? That's the question. What does it say about someone who uh, would perform less if they had to answer the same kinds of questions that uh, maybe not any other fighter, but maybe many other headliners would have to answer for in a similar position. Granted, she's a little bit different. I understand that. Maybe she's way different in some capacity. But um, if if there was a narrow amount of media time, how many questions would she realistically have to answer? In other words, if she didn't do any interviews and she didn't do a scrum, but she did a post, she did a uh, pre-fight workout, 
no scrum, and then did a press conference. The whole press conference, let's say, lasted 45 minutes, and let's say she had to answer 10 to 12 questions. 12 questions? Would that really impact her? And, and if you're saying the answer is yes, then you, then you have to ask a question about, like, um, what does that mean? What does it mean that, like, let's say, 10, let's say even 15, that 15 questions about your loss, maybe your coach, maybe your future, uh, are so ruinous, potentially, that the mere act of having to listen to them or entertain them uh, could affect your performance. That would signal some kind of, I don't know what kind exactly, but some kind of fragility. That's what that signals to, to me. Uh, certainly, we can have a different opinion. So I think I agree with you that the fact that she's not having to entertain them um, will, will assist her on Friday. Enough to get the victory? I guess we'll find out. But that's not the issue to me. The issue is what, what has to be so toxic about that experience? Frankly, and again, I'm not saying do all the media she's doing before, but not even a press conference, not one. What is so toxic about that that you can't even do what is a fairly benign-ish exercise? That, I think, leads to some speculation, and I would I would argue pretty fair. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've just never seen anything like it. Prize fighters are typically, you know, they're, Rossi is like a lot of prize fighters in that they're, you know, they're teeth gritters and they're, and they're salty and they're edgy and they're hard to work with sometimes. You see a lot of good prize fighters like that in boxing too. But ultimately... They're so confident that they fun, they believe that they are in control. They believe they're in control. And so I don't know that I get the same sense of her having control over everything. Someone says, for her to attribute her loss to anything but walking at an elite striker with her chin up is delusional. And frankly, I think I, many would agree that searching for people to blame, the media in this case, rather than taking responsibility of how poor of a strategy she had is a significant mental weakness. That being said... I'm certainly not counting out Rousey in this fight. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot I agree with there. Look, what are your thoughts on Nate Diaz asking for 20 million? Is he pricing some, himself out? What do you think? Nope, he is not pricing himself out because ultimately, I think he'll settle for a lot less. Number one. Number two, um, it's a way of keeping away uh, pointless distractions. Oh, hey, Nate, we're thinking about putting you on um, co-main event for UFC 20 or 210. Would you be interested? We'll give you, you know, half a million. It's like your half of million is like the buzzing of flies to Nate. You know, he doesn't even want to, he doesn't like, just take that to another sucker, you know. So it's partly just a screen by which he can, you know, keep ridiculous in his mind offers away. But I don't think he ultimately would say, oh, I will only take, take $20 million a fight. He, it's just him putting up high enough of a number to avoid having to deal with the frivolity of some of the UFC's maybe short-term interests. Uh, Miles Jury. Hi, Luke. Do you know what's happened to Miles Jury? He goes on a long win streak, loses two, then disappears. I have reached out to him uh, a number of times. I cannot get a response. And that appears to be intentional because I never had any conflict with the guy. Uh, I like him very much. Many of you do as well. I do not know, and I have tried. I have tried specifically just for this live chat, and I cannot get a response. So I don't know what to tell you, man. I'll keep trying. I'll just keep trying. Uh, Luke, what do you think about this UFC on Fox 23 retro poster? I don't know if you guys have seen this. 
It's got uh, Shevchenko on one side, Pena on the other. It's got the original, like, um, the original UFC guy who's standing on the globe, like this with his fists out. And it's got Cowboy versus Masvidal below it. I mean, I wouldn't call it amazing, but I would call it a step up. <laughs> I call it a real step up, man. didn't get three wrecks, but I like it. Luke, how will you best remember 2016, both in terms of MMA and just in general? Well, it was a lot of professional change for me, so I will remember it for that. Um, you know, going five days a week with SiriusXM, which is both exciting and scary at the same time. Um, so for me, it was a big year of, of professional change, growth. You know, we'll see. Um, and then just for the sport generally, I, I, for me, it's – this was the this was the most insane year I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen the UFC machine grow in the way it did. I've never seen it challenged in the way it did to see the Fertitas and the regime change. Most MMA fans weren't around for the first regime change. So this feels like the first one in many ways, or the first one that really matters. Although, obviously, the, the very first one mattered because the Zufa era was when it the company was saved. But, um, but you know what I mean? Like... Um, it's scary and uncertain and different and challenging and weird and fun and unexpected. And it's all of those things. It is, it was this crazy storm that just ran through us um, that we're just sort of coming to terms with. Uh, the Korean zombie rises. Hi, Luke. One of my favorite fighters of all time is coming back soon. The zombie. Everybody loves him, right? Uh, can you do a quick breakdown of his fight with Bermudez? Man, that's going to be a tough Well, Bermudez probably is not going to wrestle with him. I suspect he's going to leg kick him semi-similar in the ways that um, Jose Aldo did. He'll probably try to back him up. Um, and I think put forward pressure on him. Uh, do you think he will win? Man, two years off, I don't know. And who would you like to see him fight next if he wins? Ooh. If Yair Rodriguez beats BJ Penn, that might be a fun fight. Uh, and how do you see him matching up against the division's best, Holloway and Connor? I mean, until we see him, no way to know. Follow-up, is Duho Choi getting, going to get taken away for two years of military service in the near future as well? I believe so, yes. Okay, women's featherweight division. Hi, Luke. If Cyborg gets suspended, which is very likely... Uh, is the UFC's women's featherweight division doomed from the beginning? Two title contenders who are both looking to return to bantamweight become two-weight world champion and a very thin talent pool makes it hard to believe there's interest for women at 145 after UFC 208. Here's my thought about that. Like, divisionally, what happens, and we'll get to Cyborg here in just a second. Uh, I'll go, actually, I'll do it in a minute. Um, in terms of growing a division, yes, it makes things very difficult. Um, but what if they did this? And maybe this actually won't work. I haven't like completely thought this through. But what if they just had the belt and when they could make fights, they did. And they tr made a good faith effort to try to put those together. But they didn't like hammer themselves to grow a division when it wasn't really possible. In other words, like they'll have the belt 
Maybe they'll defend it sometimes, maybe they won't. But it won't be this thing necessarily that um, we have we we like obsess over, like straw weight or bantam weight. Is that really the worst thing in the world? I don't know. That seems to me like it maybe not. Uh, not the best thing in the world either. Far from it. But in other words, everyone's like, well, what about this division? The division. How about the division? What about the division? Yeah, what about the division? It's, it's not. It's not ready. Uh, and, and now that cyborg is, God knows what's going to happen to her. Um, um, hard to say exactly when it will, if ever, grow. But my thought is, you've already announced it. What if you just had a scenario where, rather than you make these people defend the belt three times a year, you just have fights in that division and you have title fights in that division to the extent you can, but you don't really belabor the point. I wonder if that might be possible. Okay, here's a, the Cyborg one. Uh, UFC knew about Cyborg's failed test ahead of time. I don't know if that's true, but maybe. Now that we know Chris Cyborg failed a USADA test, it makes a lot more sense why the UFC decided to create featherweight belt without her. Maybe. Do you think UFC knew about the results weeks before it became available to the public? No, I don't think so. I think the answer is they couldn't get Cyborg to move on it. They had to get something for that February pay-per-view. All the reasons that we mentioned before, right? Uh, they had already canceled the January pay-per-view. Pay-per-view is still the biggest revenue driver for the company. They couldn't duff on this uh, February one. Aldo versus uh, Holloway, you know, it, back then was like, if they're not going to have that, they got to have something. So, like, all of those reasons explain it. But let's talk about Cyborg for just a second uh, because you guys have no, well known my positions on this. And this, I think, changes some things. Um, the worst thing you can do is hold a position in the event of new information and say it doesn't matter because it does. Um, now, how much it matters, I think we're going to find out. Um, here's what I did over the weekend. I reached out to a bunch of people to get information about this scenario and what she took and what she's claiming. Number one, I think we still need some more evidence to really say one way or the other what exactly happened here. But here's what some things I think we can say definitively. What an epic, epic, at, this is best case scenario, best case. What an epic misjudgment by Chris Cyborg. Uh, <laughs> Forget before this had ever happened, before Thursday. We were actually all the MMAB guys. We were sitting down at, at lunch, uh, right outside the Vox offices, and we looked at our phones. And we were like, "Are you kidding me?" Okay, forget all that. Think about life just before that moment. If I had asked you, name one fighter, name not name one, name the one fighter who cannot afford the mere appearance of impropriety as it relates to anti-doping. Whatever you think of the anti-doping rules, whether you think they're great, whether you think some need revision, whether you're like me, you think not a lot of them need revision, whatever. Name the one fighter who cannot afford even the mere appearance of impropriety. Very simple answer. It is Chris Cyborg. Some of that I think is unfair because I think she was the result of a smear campaign. Um, but whatever the case, that's the reality that we have. We have a reality where there is an extraordinary amount of existing suspicion about how she got to that weight, about how she maintains it, about what she's doing underneath USADA's nose, about all that stuff. And I think a lot of that suspicion is total BS, but it exists. It exists. That suspicion is there. And then you go out and either confirming all of those suspicions or... There's a legitimate medical ex explanation for it, which you took 
no time at all to properly vet and to avoid the potentially career ruinous consequences of it. Shocking. It is a shocking amount of negligence. It is a shocking amount of lack of self-awareness. Or you might say, look at any of those things. The easier explanation, the more plausible explanation is she was using and just got caught. And this is some concocted excuse. Let's talk about what the explanations are here. This thing she took was, what was this thing called? Spiroticolone or whatever it's called, this, this substance she took. Number one, I think I've seen a lot of people being like, I knew it all along. Well, hold on a second. Let's talk about the plausible interpretations of what happened here. Okay. Number one, and this is a fact. This is a fact. If you had suspicion all along, and again, I don't know what level of suspicion you had, a lot, some, a little bit, whatever, and now you see this, that what happened over the weekend, and she didn't, or Thursday anyway, and she didn't go through the process of getting a therapeutic use exemption. Yes, she's got all this stuff about this doctor. She's got these claims about her weight cut and this birth control she was taking. Um, but if you want to conclude that this justifies your suspicion, what could I possibly say to you? Even if she is 1,000% right and 1,000% honest, what could I possibly say to you? Stunning lack of self-awareness about how she is viewed and what any potential bump in the road, however seemingly innocuous it is, can do to her career and her uh, future. Stunning lack of self-awareness. Okay? So if that's one of your conclusions going to be hard to argue with you, to be perfectly honest. Super hard. I think for me, everyone's like, well, we knew all along she could have made 135. I've, I mean, I, I don't, to me, the 145, 135 thing is settled. She was a 145 pound fighter a decade ago. Uh, maybe she could have been 135, but um, I don't think that's the salient issue here. To me, the salient issue is she just had such, I mean, I cannot believe I cannot believe how how badly she handled this, uh, especially if she actually is innocent. Now, you might be asking, well, I had a little bit of suspicion, and this makes me question things. That's a justifiable response, I think, as well. Let's talk about one that you might not find plausible, but that at least is, or I, I should say, one that you don't really believe, but at least is medically plausible. I talked to a couple of doctors over the weekend, and what they told me is, is it conceivable that she took uh, this thing with the start with the letter S um, for post weight cut uh, to deal with some of the problems of that. The answer is a couple of different ways you could say yes. Number one, um, if in fact she had adverse responses to the birth control she was on, they prescribed this other thing that she took to deal with some of those, which can include bad female acne, hirsutism, uh, uh, some other problems as well. That's one response. Another one is that another doctor told me that they, it, it wouldn't be his first choice, but that you can take that stuff to sort of like um, get the kidneys to sort of start pumping in the way that they needed to previously. But, you know, if you're walking around where, sure, you had a clean record for however many years, seven, eight years, whatever it was, but during all that time, everyone suspects you of everything. And then you take something... <laughs> which may in fact have a medicinal benefit and you didn't get a TUE, uh, it is, it's just like, what do you expect the world to say at this point? What do you expect people who defended you to say at this point? You know? And she was like so super nonchalant on, on social media. Maybe that speaks to her 
degree of confidence about what this will be uh, in the end. But to me, it was like, you know, we have guys in UFC who have popped for more than she ever did and worse kinds of things. I, I, I fundamentally believe that, like, if you really are interested in who the real big cheaters have been, maybe she makes your list, but she is hardly alone, and I don't think she's at the top of it either. Um, but life's not fair, uh, and she does, in fact, have a record of previous use. She claimed again for managing weight, but whatever you want to say about that. Um, if you just know how you're viewed and you understand the optics of it and how to manage that, doing what she did is just so recklessly irresponsible. And that assumes that that is, um, that she had the medically plausible, um, that, that what she claims she used it for is actually true. So there is a medical answer for it, but like at this point, you know, I'm not saying who cares, but it won't matter. Now let me do, let me say one thing though, not so much about cyborg, but about some of the outrage about her. Someone goes, she's a cheater. I just can't imagine it being any other way. The eye test alone is a huge fail. This failed test is just further confirmation. There's nothing anyone can say to me, honestly. I can understand that. <laughs> I can understand that, man. I really can. All that time where she was keeping a clean record. For what? For what, man? For what? You know, no room for error. And then this happens. Let me just say one thing about this. I saw a lot of people being like, oh, USADA is so great. Now, you might, in fact, think they're great. You might, in fact, think they're doing the Lord's work with respect to Chris Cyborg. And I won't really get into that. But here's what I would say. People are like, oh, you want everyone to take steroids in the sport. No, that's not true. USADA can do it. It's not a, the point is this. If you want to have some kind of testing regimen, and in particular, you want to cheerlead when that testing regimen, uh, you believe, does a better job of catching potential cheaters, um, then you also need to make sure that when that system of justice goes askew, you are just as vocal about it. Because here's the truth of the matter. I saw lots of digital high-fiving. I saw Derek Brunson on Twitter being like, USADA should be fighter of the year. It's like, really, guys? You, Leota Machida just got railroaded, and there was barely a peep out of anyone outside of Ian Kidd. And that is a stunning amount of disrespect for that guy, for the process that other fighters have to go through, for the system of justice you claim you are cheerleading. If someone like Leota Machida, for the most benign, innocuous, and frankly, even arguably, uh, unscientific way in which he was hemmed up is just going to be ignored so we can pull out the pitchforks and and uh, just for Cyborg. I mean, if you want to do the one thing, then go do it. But you better have just as much indignation about someone like that getting run over because that's exactly what happened. He lost 18 months of his career for nothing. And then they had another guy who tested positive for a tainted supplement uh, from the same seven uh, keto uh, and had it had Osterine on it, and he got less of a sentence than Leota Machido. You better be angry about that too. You better be angry for all the righteous indignation you have about Cyborg. You better take that over and say something in defense of Leota Machida. And you better start asking questions from people who have who better have answers for it as well.
So it's fine if you just want to say, well, look, uh, this is great that my suspicion was confirmed about Cyborg, if in fact that is your interpretation. But how about giving Leota Machida one more look at his situation? Because the guy got royally, and I do mean royally, screwed. The system still needs revision. The system still needs some changes. People like that, like Leota Machida, who have basically done nothing wrong, don't need to be on suspension. And guys who do things that are more negligent than that, getting lesser sentences, that better be a wake-up call for you. The system is far, and I do mean far from perfect. And you had a case where a guy, at the end of his career, loses 18 months for something bodybuilders won't even take because it doesn't even work. And I heard barely a peep. So, like, these ideas are like, we take justice seriously. We take anti-doping seriously. No, no, no. You take one side of it seriously. You like the testing side. You like the theater side. You like the cops and robbers side. You don't quite like the other side that's a little bit more complicated and a little bit more involved and a little bit more murky, but it's equally important to the larger body of work that either USADA or any other anti-doping organization undertakes. All right. Uh, why is it UFC 208 stacked yet? I don't know. Let's see what they can put on there. But I agree they need to do something. UFC on two, uh, excuse me. UFC 206 rating on Fox. Hi Luke. The UFC 206 repeat on Fox did 4.2. No, no, it did more than that. It did 4.7 million in overnight ratings. What are your thoughts on this in terms of WME's rumored plan to increase TV specials, decrease pay-per-views, and its effect on the sports? So if you guys didn't see this, I was so we all remember. They re-aired four fights from UFC 206. They skipped the Mian versus um, uh, Mech fight. But they had the other four. And I remember on Twitter, I didn't see necessarily a lot of activity. But then I got a text from my friend who I hadn't talked to in years. And she goes, uh, hey, that Swanson fight was insane. And then uh, I'll even say his name. And then Eric Bickle uh, tweeted me. Eric Bickle is one of the hosts of the Sports Junkies, the long-running 20-year morning radio show in Washington, D.C. These guys are in the, the D.C. area um, legends, quite honestly. That's actually how I got my start in radio was because of another one of them, JP. Uh, Eric Bickle tweeted me and goes, dude, that Swanson fight was incredible. Casual fan? Casual fan. And I was thinking, well, that's interesting. How did that happen? Then I saw the ratings the next day, and I was like, it averaged, averaged. 4.7 million. That's not the peak. That's not the, you know, that's not the high water mark. Probably did well above that for whatever the uh, high water mark was or plus three DVR numbers or whatever. It killed, in other words, super killed. So this got me to thinking like, whoa, what does this mean? Does this mean if we take guys off of pay-per-view and put them on Fox, it will automatically be a hit? Maybe, maybe not. Partly the appeal of the 206 one was that it was um, – the fights were great and, you know, has, uh, you know, once you started watching, you could probably imagine that it kept your, it kept your interest because the fights were all action packed. So there was that. Um, but, you know, it, it, what it more reminded me of was the HBO strategy where they'll put something on pay-per-view or they'll put it on, you know, let's say, let's stick with that. They'll put it on pay-per-view and then a week or two later, they'll put it on the channel and they'll do good numbers on the channel. I think that's what they might be saying to Fox is like, look, here's what we can do. We'll split pay-per-view one way. And, and Front Row Brian had a lot of reporting about this. They might, it looks like after the next deal, what they might do is have like eight to 10 pay-per-views and then 
um, and then some other stuff. Uh, everything else goes on Big Fox or whatever the case may be, and that's how they get that number to four hundred twenty-five million a year annually. Um, but one of the ways they might buttress that is we'll have these pay-per-views, we'll have these Fox specials, and these Fox specials will be better. And then on top of that, uh, what we'll do is if we have a pay-per-view that we can then bring to TV, we'll just give you that for free, or not for free, but sort of as part of the deal. And you can see that if the if event, like, what did we talk about with UFC 206? We don't even know the pay-per-view bar rate. But we don't expect it to be high. But that the card was tremendous, even though it didn't have necessarily a big pay-per-view store on it, and it killed on network TV. There could be a lot of repurposing the content like that could be really valuable to a television broadcaster. Even though the in, the the info is, or the video is dated, um, it, you can imagine this would be cheap to produce. Someone already had it. You just got to take it and rebroadcast it. Super simple, right? Um, and they can cut out all the fat. They can make it nice trimmed, you know, two hours. Here's four great fights. Boom, no problem. Um, man, that was a, that was a real hit on their hands. And I'd be curious to see what the, what the final numbers are, but that, that worked. So I think it tells you one, you can take these sort of better pay-per-view quality cards to an extent, put them on there. Although 206 didn't have the stars and had the fight. So that's not the best example, but, but more that, um, um, pay-per-views can be repurposed down the road, I think is, is for me how I looked at it. Uh, basically someone's asking who would you want to see next? For the welterweight match, I don't care. I also wouldn't mind Tyron versus Diaz or Conor or Maya. I really, I wouldn't care about any of them. But you can imagine if, like, if Demi and Maya gets the next one, which I don't think is likely, but let's just say, and wins, does Conor still want to go to welterweight? Because that ain't a good fight for him. Demi and Maya would, you know, would pretzel him up pretty quick. Demi Maya is huge for a welterweight. Demi Maya was a good-sized middleweight. He is huge for a welterweight. I met, I'm, uh, we interviewed him at my uh, SiriusXM show the day of the uh, 205 weigh-ins. He and Amanda Nunes came together. He is a monster welterweight. Uh, I, frankly, I'm, I'm surprised he could even make welterweight, but he's done it. Um, that's a terrible fight for Connor, man. Really bad. 2017, a big year for Bellator. With the upcoming debuts of Chael Sonnen, Fedor, and Rory McDonald, the interest in Ed Ruth and Michael Page, the return of Rampage, and the possibility of a Chandler-Henderson rematch through the year, Bellator is shaping up to its biggest year in promotions history. Yeah, do you think they could compete with the UFC in pay-per-view? No. In your, I mean, maybe with a one-off, but certainly not in general. In your opinion, which fighter of the mentioned above, other than Fedor, is key to big numbers or interest? Bellator's 2016 was weird because on the one hand, they had a lot of success in going to these new territories, right? They went to um, Italy, they went to Israel, they went to Ireland, just to name a few places. I don't know what's happening with their kickboxing business. I don't really get a good read on it. It certainly doesn't appear to be making a tremendous impact. The ratings have been good in, in parts, but like they haven't come out with like a blockbuster number. I think losing Kimbo Slash really hurt them. Um. And I agree that they've, they're poised for some big moments in 2017. Coker's, you know, plan has been to have the, the frog slowly boil in the pot until it realizes it's too hot. But um, so 2016 to me was a mixed bag. You lost your biggest headliner, and that was in a, a – I mean, it did big ratings, but it was in a truly embarrassing spectacle. 
Um, and the rest of the ratings were like, mm. but then they had this international success and they, those events mostly went well. I mean, they misplanned the Ireland one by having Ishii versus Lawal at the end, but you know, other than that, it was a pretty big, you know, like the, uh, the Gallagher kid's pretty good. So which fighter is mentioned above? That's the other thing. Like Ed Ruth is looking pretty good. Michael Page, you know, didn't have his greatest run. Uh, Rampage. I, I just need to see them turn the corner where they produce a stacked event. It just felt like to me there was a lot of filler with Bellator still. Like they've got these pieces. They've got Ruth and they've got Darian Caldwell and they've got this. They've got Chael Sonnen and Fedor. But I, it never feels like it comes together in an event. And it feels like there's just so much filler with them. Um, and as a consequence, nothing really stands out for me. Nothing really just, you know, grabs my attention in that kind of way. I don't know. We'll see what happens in 2017. Uh, Luke, hey, one thing I've noticed no one talk about recently is if Rhonda's long break might be a good way for her brain to recover from the KO she suffered. I've heard plenty of people comment in the past that they should like to see more fighters take at least a year off when they get brutally KO'd, but no one is talking about it for this fight. What are your thoughts? Do you think the long break might end up being an advantage? Sure. Sure. Uh, medically, I think it has. Um, it's great. Who could argue with that, right? question is, um, if she didn't have some of the issues about how she believes the media treated her or whatever the case may be, these sort of external things, would she have come back sooner? This is an open question for me. Uh, hey, Luke, with all the chaos at 145, would you rather see Frankie Edgar battle back in contention at 145 or move down to 135 and maybe fight someone like Lineker or Dillashaw? I'd like to see him get one more run at it at 145, but I will say this. If that doesn't work, I'd love to see him at 135. His coach, uh, Mark Henry, has been adamant, adamant. From day one, he could easily make 135. No problems, no problems at all. Um, I would love to see him down there because those would be some really fun fights, you know, really fun. You know, a fight with Lineker or Dillashaw or, you know, if, if Edgar is really good down there, if he's got big power down there, Frankie Edgar versus Dominic Cruz, people don't want to see this. I don't want to see that. <laughs> Sorry, my room here is not, not the best for podcasting. Is Verdum officially off the card now? Yeah. I think so. Well, I can tell you this. We got the updated list of names for the media day. And Tarek Safadin and Don Kong Kim had been added. And Fabricio Verdum and Kane Velasquez had been taken off. So take that for what it is worth. Uh, okay. It is basically 2.15. Excuse me. Let's go to the live chitty chit chat on... Twitter. How many UFC events are penciled in for 2017 compared to 2016? We don't know yet. Do you think fighters are hesitant to publicly criticize USADA for fear they will get accusations of PEDs? Dude, look around. Look around at how much peer pressure there is about USADA. Oh, I'm the cleanest. I'm the cleanest. No, I, I have even less. I didn't even drink water today. Look how clean I am. I don't even wash my clothes with soap. I don't want any kind of chemicals in my life. Yeah, everyone tries to – the amount of peer pressure to appear clean is extraordinary. And if you have if you have the temerity to ask any questions, even if they're well-placed and you're totally innocent, uh, you'll get any number of different accusations about, you know, 
what they might be. So you can see why Cyborg, someone who had a history of it, and certainly, let's say, looks the part to a certain extent, um, can suffer from a heavy, heavy public blowback. Have you ever been in a hotel that had bed bugs? Yes, in New York City. It shall remain nameless. What when will Verdum's next fight be after Velasquez's injury? I have to look at the calendar, but I would imagine first quarter. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with that mess. What is your favorite George Michael song? I will not pretend to be a big George Michael fan. And I think it's a Queen song, but I saw a rendition he did of Somebody to Love. He did a good job with it, you know. And obviously his death is incredibly tragic. Uh, Luke, do you know of Tension Nasukawa? And if so, we'd like to hear your thoughts on this young striking prospect. Have you guys seen this kid? Tension Nasukawa. I keep, his, his name never sticks in my head. Tension Nasukawa. Nasukawa, Nasukawa. Sorry, I, I look. It's how much coffee I have today. Keep in mind, I'm three hours back. Nasukawa is a beast. Have you guys seen this kid? I think he's like what, eighteen or nineteen, something like that. Maybe even less than that. He's somewhere in that neighborhood. This kid is a phenom. Shoutouts to uh, Lawrence Kenshin, who's been featuring him. Uh, Grabaka Hitman on Twitter is all over him. That's how I heard about it. Was through those guys, and I, I watched some of his uh, kickboxing work. Whoa. Whoa, a born phenom this kid is, man. Look out for him. They're talking about an MMA debut for him. I don't know when, but um, Tenshin Asukawa is, I'm telling you, the genuine article. Pay attention to that name. Remember it here. Everyone who is high on this kid is not delusional. He is brilliant, and he can do all the different styles, too. He can fight a tie style. He can fight a more um, kickboxing style in the open. He can fight in close. He can clinch. He can do He can do it. He can do spinning attacks, like Taekwondo style. He can do it all, man. He is super, super incredible and very young. Watch out for that name. Do people realize Cormier has one more title defense than McGregor, but no talks of stripping him? Plus, he has defended in 15 months. What do you think? Uh, okay. Delburn admitting she got the Rousey job because she's a woman and gloating about cyborg news. I don't. I didn't see what she said about the cyborg news, so I'll refrain from commenting about that. What do you think about Ramona Shelburne admitting she got the Rousey job because she's a woman? That's not exactly what I heard. I heard that like Ronda likes her because they have a camaraderie uh, from their... Uh, from their womanhood, which I find not surprising. Not really a great reason to do an article on someone, but it's not very, that, that particular thing does not offend me. Does Cowboy have to go on another eight-fight win streak to get a title shot at welterweight? Maybe so. Someone says, please do a collab with Cali Muscle if he's at Iron Addicts. I, I will try. Do you consider Rousey to have a bully mentality? Sure, but I don't know if that's a bad thing. At least not altogether a bad thing. Is MMA's top revelation 16 the fallacy of the belts? No. That would not be my top revelation. What division is the most technically proficient? Lightweight. Have you tried Dollar Shave Club? No, but I'll tell you this. I am sponsored. My show is sponsored by uh, Harry's which is similar to Dollar Shave Club, only it's better because it's Harry's. 
Fair to say that the window of females fighting prime is shorter than a man's or is women's MMA still too new to tell? Still too new to tell. You might be right, but need some more evidence. Um, if you exchange Edmund with Faraz, what would be different in Ronda's career in your opinion? Shit, everything. Uh, you'd have a lot less questions you'd have to avoid, wouldn't you? Boy, they fired Bob Bradley. How long was he manager? Two months? Oh, man. Americans can't catch a break in England, huh? That sucks. Uh, poor Bob Bradley. Basically, if McGregor never missed the UFC 200 press conference, would John Jones be suspended right now? John Jones would be suspended independent of it. I'm not sure what that means. If Submission Underground does indeed make the match between John Jones and Dylan Dennis, who do you think wins? Well, I'll say this. Dylan Dennis, pound for pound, is an infinitely better grappler than John Jones. The question would be the size difference and how much John would negate him as a consequence, like both strategically and with size. But if you're just asking, like, who's the better grappler, Dennis is by a wide, wide margin. Um, do you eat beef jerky? I mean, not regularly or something. Uh, if GSP is a free agent, why is he still in USADA testing? I don't know what the hell that's asking. Um, or false. Rousey's media refusal is a sign of mental weakness and not addressing her, her coach's mistakes. Um, when we talk about mental weaknesses, though, what does that mean? Like, is it some kind of fatal mental weakness that will obviously have an impact on Friday? I don't think so. I mean, maybe it'll have an impact, but you have to understand what that means. Like, you can, I mean, many of these fighters have mentally uh, weakness, have mental weaknesses or emotional weaknesses. Why do you think they got into, you don't, what, what do you have, what, what has to be wrong with you sometimes? Not for, in every case, like your eye favor is a little bit different, but like, Lots of these guys who get into fighting come from fairly jacked up backgrounds. I don't want to stereotype them, but it's not an uncommon thing. Like they carry with them pathologies or weaknesses that we would, you know, we don't normally ascribe to other people. Um, you know, obsessing about Rondas. I, I mean, I think it's fine to ask questions about it, but like people are like, she doesn't want to talk to the media. Therefore, she's walking around, you know, barely holding back the tears. I don't think so. I don't think so. I just don't think that whatever caused her to have this feeling she's resolved and unless she's made proper technical developments if she faces adversity again um this this unwillingness to answer for the world might might hurt her in the end i think that's sort of how i look at it do you think weidman can come back from two brutal losses and remain a top five middleweight in 2017 yes but he needs tune-up fights he needs tune-up fights his career will go very quickly if he doesn't get those. Is it rude to count the change given to you from the cashier in front of her or him? <laughs> I don't know what the nature of these questions are. Uh, is it rude to count the change given to you from the cashier in front of her or him? Sure. Let me say this. I was going to mention this at the top of the show, but I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to 
get there. So let me just say this as a disclaimer because I had to travel here yesterday. If you ride the train or the bus or you take a plane and you get into your seat, assuming there's a row of seats in front of you, I mean, you have the very first one, this wouldn't apply. But if you have any other one but the very first one, if you lean on the seat in front of you to slide your ass into your space, I want to wrap your knuckles with a car antenna. I think you are physically weak and deserving of extraordinary ridicule. Who are these people that can't even control their own weight to quarter squat into a into a seat? And then they, what they do is they just yank your seat backwards. Uh, so you can't. I was sleeping, and this lady behind me yesterday, I mean, hanging on that seat like it was like she was Sylvester Stallone in Cliffhanger, bro, for dear life, hanging on to this seat and then ricocheting me forward when she let go. What, bro? What are you doing? What are you doing? Who look? If you're truly infirm, where if you're getting on a train or a plane and you have like a walker or a cane, all right, man, all bets are off, and they should give you the front of the plane anyway. Fine, I'm not talking about that. But this lady did it. She wow. She woke me up, and I looked at her. She was like, "I was like, you know, I mean, you just woke me up." And she was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And uh, I stood up, and I she said something to me yesterday, and I didn't hear her, but I could see the guy next to me like look at her and then look at me, meaning like she said something you didn't hear it. So I pulled my headphone out because I always have headphones, always travel in public with headphones. And uh, she goes, "One day you'll be old like me." <laughs> and I said, first of all, lady." I'm 37 and I'm almost fully white. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hungover uh, Anderson Cooper, number one. Number two, uh, perpetually hungover Anderson Cooper. Number two, um, you're not old. You're just weak. And you're weak because you don't do anything. You get in your car and you drive to work and then you walk to your office. But you don't walk around. You don't make movement part of your life. Like I live in a city and I have a bike, I have a car that me and my wife share, but I, I walk to the metro, I bike to the office, uh, or whatever the case may be. I make movement part of my life. I go and I take time out of my day to go weight train. Now, I realize everyone doesn't have to do that last part, but I'm just saying, we're not talking about an exceptional amount of weight, we're talking just enough management of your body weight to slide and sit. That's it, without having to yank on the chair in front of you. If you can't do that, you need to go to the gym. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to fix it. I'm not talking about people who are infirm, legitimately elderly people. That's not what I'm saying. But this lady was just, I, I wanted to look at her. I didn't say this, of course, because I, you know, and then I had a Marine Corps shirt on. She was like, are you a Marine? Thank you for your service. So she was nice. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be in her face, but I wanted to be like, lady, <laughs> I got good news for you. You're not old. I got bad news for you. You are super, super feeble. Like, Get it together, bro. You should be able to manage yourself. I get on these planes and these trains and these women pack, and I'm, I'm sorry, it is the women. Sometimes it's the dudes, but it's mostly the women. They pack these luggages and they go, and they go, hey, can you help me get it up here? Yo, if you <coughs> if you pack luggage and you can't lift it over your head, don't pack that much. I'm not your courier. They look at me and they're like, hey, Chewbacca, can you come help us? You look like you could you know, lift this for us. And I'm like, I mean, I'm, I mean, I know I do, but <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, if you can't lift the luggage over your head, you don't get to keep the luggage. I should be able to take your luggage. If you have to ask me to take your luggage and lift it 
because you can't, I get to have your things. I get to rifle through your things and make it light and I get to keep what I want. Oh, look at that. I have a nice new Amazon Kindle. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Oh, I'll take that uh, nice new camcorder as well, whatever the hell is in there. Uh, I'll just take your clothes for no reason and I'll throw them in the garbage because I get to keep your stuff at that point. That should be the new rule. I really believe that. Stop asking me to do that because you are infirm. Rhonda versus Tate EBI rules. Who wins? Uh, Rhonda. Who would you have on GSP versus McGregor? GSP. Boycott airplane seat grabbers. Not just airplane, train or bus. Stop grabbing my freaking seat. Uh, new trend is going to fancy steakhouse yelling F Luke Thomas and pouring yellow mustard on steak. It used to be pouring A1. A1 is also for um, filthy animals. Let's see. Who has a worse accent, Romero or Nunes? Well, that's racist. Um, have you heard any news on Lorenz Larkin's free agent status? No, but I will look into that. Uh, someone says tension is fighting in Ryzen on either the 29th or the 31st. Yeah, there we go. But is it kickboxing or MMA? I haven't been able to keep up with this. Um, I think it's kickboxing. You think Rhonda talks if she loses or skips everything and disappears? Seems like that would be the end. The question to me is not if she talks if she loses. The question to me is, does she talk if she wins? And if she does, what does she say? Because apparently she's bitter at half the free world. Do you find it strange that no matter which union organization comes up, fighters are still skeptical? Do I find it strange? No, I don't find it strange at all. Uh, let's see if there's one more. I can get to this. Um, I actually did an article about this a couple of years ago. Someone asks, hey, Luke, with Ricardo, or Ricardo Almeida becoming an MMA judge uh, in New Jersey and Vitor Shaolin Hibero becoming an MMA referee, do you think there will be more fighters going this route in 2017? Is this something you could see Chuck Liddell or Matthews doing? No, certainly not. I don't think they have the interest to do that at a local level, which is what would be required before you could do anything else. Second of all, um, I'm generally in favor of those kinds of guys, former fighters or whatever, um, taking on officiating roles, but they're not perfect for it either. I mean, how many times have you heard a fighter be like, oh, I super won that fight. Oh, I went back and I watched and I super won. You'd be like, dude, you clearly didn't win this one at all. Like, obviously, they're going to have a level of technical expertise that, um, you know, many of us are not going to have, me included, but that doesn't necessarily make them great um, officiants. Um, also, I'd argue that if they have, it's going to be difficult and you, you would need, you know, New Jersey's probably pretty good about this, but you'd want them in a state where they didn't have the same conflicts of interest, where they're not coaching or they're not me, refereeing against someone who their fighter is fighting against. I've seen this kind of stuff. It's not in any way uncommon. So like they have a lot of conflicts of interest that have to be managed as well. But I mean, yes, they have technical expertise and the two guys you're highlighting in, uh, Hibero and, uh, Vitor Shallon and then Ricardo Almeida. They're amazing. I don't have anything bad to say about either of them. I got nothing but good things to say about those two individuals. But a lot of fighters have their own biases and their own worldviews that, I mean, yes, they know how to throw punches better than we do, and they know how to throw arm bars better than we do, but they've, they're have they not necessarily perfect candidates. Also, there's not a lot of money in that kind of thing. All right. I have to go. I appreciate you watching. Don't pull on the back of someone's seat. Please be a strong human being. 
Um, if you're the person who pulls in the back of a seat, the zombies are going to eat you first. I mean, it's a guaranteed lock that's going to happen. So just don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Okay, thank you so much for watching. Give it a thumbs up. Share it around. Um, what a year it's been on the live chat. A full year of these things, huh? Pretty amazing. So let me just say, as we wind the year down here, thank you guys so much. This might be my favorite thing I do all week long, um, no matter what, what I'm doing it on. And it's because of you know you guys watch and you share this around and you make it worth uh, my while, I hope it's worth your while. Let's take it up a notch uh, in 2017. If you have any ideas for things you'd like to see the live chat do or change or take on, um, I don't think I'm willing to hear any like revolutionary changes, but maybe some small things that I can do better that we can do differently to make this a more rewarding experience for you. But let me just say thank you. Super, like I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you very much to everyone who watches and watched this whole year. Even if you criticize me, that's okay. If you praised it, even better. Um, if you shared it, uh, I just can't thank you enough. You, you guys are the best. You make it all worth it. And uh, I know you don't believe me, but the t-shirts are coming. But um, just thank you for allowing me to do something that is this professionally rewarding. Um, I need you to do it. I couldn't do it on my own. And um, I feel like it's a great handshake. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, gracias por todo. Okay. Have a happy new year. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay frosty.